0: It's Dr. Stew's Podcast at drstuspodcast.com. On iTunes, subscribe to the feed. Give Dr. Stew five stars. Write him a nice review. That's Doctor Stuart Fishbein. How are you, my friend?
1: I am very fine, Brian. Happy Halloween to you today.
0: Yeah, Halloween coming and going. Do you every... like?
1: Do you like uh, producer Randy's producer costume?
0: I do like that. I thought that what he did was he he wanted here on Doctor Stu's podcast to to wear a radio producer's costume. So what he did was he put on a T-shirt, <laughs> a pair of headphones. Oh yeah, slippers. And sweatpants. Yeah, pajama <laughs> bottoms. Right. And and people said, wow, you're wearing pajama bottoms, sweatpants, uh, pajama bottoms, slippers, and a T-shirt. I got it. You're dressed as a radio producer. I'm dressed as a guy who produces morning radio. Right. And everybody said, oh, yeah, that's a great costume. And you won, too. You went to a costume contest and won, right? Oh, yeah. The only other problem was people were saying, wait, didn't you wear this the day before Halloween, too? And the day before that, and the day before that, and last Halloween, mm, yeah. and next Halloween too. You know what I actually always do every year for Halloween? I have in my closet a uh, little suspenders outfit, a Bob's Big Boy outfit. That if I go to Bob's Big Boy, dress like that, I love that. They outfit. give you a free burger and fries and a drink. Works every year. You got to do that. You didn't do that this year.
1: No. Do you get trick or treaters at your door here? No,
0: it's an apartment building. We're very yeah, lucky.
1: but it's a, fl- a ground floor of an apartment building.
0: Yeah, but there's no kids that come anywhere near this area. Okay. This is, th- right. this is one of those buildings where people come to die.
1: Yeah, do you think that trick or treating has actually sort of yes. died down? Be- yes. I mean, the, because of the fears and anxieties. Well, I, know that, I know that some shopping malls actually have trick or treating in the mall. Well, you they've could, been
0: doing that forever. Yeah, well, they didn't do that
1: when I was a kid. We, when I was, we went, they,
0: well, when you were a kid in the Twin Cities, yes. right? Uh, when I, I was a kid on Staten Island. Trick or treating. It was all day. It was all night. It was a mob of 15 of us out there in great costumes, ringing doorbells with the plastic pumpkins, getting candy. And I'm 41 now, and Dr. Stu is uh, 36. (laughs) And Randy is, uh, are you 98? Ninety nine. You're ninety nine. So I have found that in my lifetime, this holiday has really died down. Nobody rings the doorbell. The kids don't go door to door. And I think you're right, Doctor Stu. Parents are afraid. Well,
1: yeah, yeah. And I also think that uh, uh, you know we've gotten as a society where neighborhoods are not that neighborly anymore. A lot of people don't know their neighbors. So it was when I grew up, everybody on the block knew everybody on the block, and we all knew which houses had the best popcorn balls or the oh, best yeah. carameled apples and you know we didn't want to go to the place that gave you butterfingers again how many butterfingers
0: how many people gave pennies remember that Do you remember that they give you pennies no that
1: uh, must have been a staten island that thing.
0: was a staten island thing and, and, and by the way you knew in your neighborhood you knew who the a-holes were who weren't going to answer the oh door. yeah they turned the lights off yeah, right, like, right. but you could, you
1: could see the light on upstairs you know they're up there right oh, yeah. Yeah. Exactly. we know you're in there yeah right so you know what happened
0: to them yeah toilet paper Toilet oh, paper, yeah. they got it good. Yep. Or eggs? Do ever do it? you ever egg anybody? I'm Any not idea?
1: admitting to that, no, but uh, right, okay. I, I have. I think the statue. I of have lobbed a few. Up. I can't say I hit anything. Yeah, you but can't that. say
0: it. Uh, you know, let me ask you something. We talk about you know the the, the other day, uh, just before Halloween. I want to ask you about this because I know Doctor Stu's got a big old can of worms to open up, and we got emails. <laughs> if you want to email Doctor Stew, ask Doctor Stew at gmail.com. That's Be- right. Before we get to that, I got to ask you, Doctor in the news couple of nights ago, big news, right after midnight, about 12.45 in the morning, Dr. Conrad Murray, the former physician of Michael Jackson, strolls out of that county jail, and after two years serving half a sentence, he's a free man, and of course he was found guilty. He injected Michael Jackson with that propofol that killed him back in nineteen in 2009, you, you are, you
1: are a, just a barrel of facts here, Brian.
0: Well, you know, I I was a big fan of the King of Pop. As, uh, well, I know, Randy. and you talk
1: about it on your show, I'm sure. Yeah, we
0: do. Right. And I wonder... Which is
1: KRLA 870, by the way.
0: Yes, AM 870, the From 6 to 9 in the morning. That's right, the morning answer the with morning Brian, Ben, and Alicia. Alicia. I wonder as a physician... <laughs> What your feelings are about Dr. Conrad Murray, because they were mixed in the court of public opinion. People said Michael Jackson was a drug addict. You know he'd get the drugs from a doctor if he needed them. And then other folks said, well, the doctor takes the Hippocratic Oath. He's not supposed to load you up with propofol and leave the room to call his girlfriend and come back and you're dead in the bed. And here's Conrad Murray, a free man who I understand can practice medicine in all but three states did you have an emotional feeling about that case
1: yeah, well of course so who didn't i mean i was i love the king of pop too and i you know i whenever i hear thriller on the radio or something like that i think back to the time i went to the movie theater and it was the you know the little short that was before the movie i don't remember yeah, what I movie it was i didn't even know that uh,
0: yeah. oh it yeah. was
1: a short that's how it first came out it was a short before a movie i don't remember what movie it came out with but it uh, but it came out Directed by that that John other, Landis. John, John Landis, Landis, the guy was, that was a Twilight Zone director. That, that's right. He got and, prosecuted for that too, or uh, maybe they threw their civil suit. I guess. And they it used was.
0: to show. Remember, they used to show us cartoons before the movie. Do you remember that? When oh, you were sure. Yeah, we used to
1: have double features. Yeah, how
0: fun! How fun! Right. But but do you think looking back? I mean, now he's a free man. So Conrad Murray's out there and maybe enjoying dinner tonight wherever he is. Do do, do you think he got a bad rap? I guess as a physician, that's the question for you. Well, you
1: know, again, I, I this is one. Of, this is an opinion, not an expert opinion. Sure. Uh, he was a complete bozo for doing what he did. Okay. I, I just don't think that anybody within the right frame of mind, I, no matter how much pressure or how much money you're being offered should be doing what he did in a home setting without paying attention to it. I mean, even, even if you had proper monitoring, you don't have alarm system. You don't have, uh, emergency stuff to resuscitate. I, I mean, again, get, I don't know the details. Like, you know, the details, Brian, you just don't do that sort of thing. That is not something like home birthing which is something that can be done because that's a normal function of the body it is not something to be putting somebody to sleep with propofol uh through an iv and without you know intensive monitoring in their bedroom at the house yeah every night doing that 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 is bozo it's idiot it's idiotic it would be negligent uh which is you know part of the whole process of negligent i know that uh was it AEG? It was right, found right. Sure, the concert promoter not, was found not negligent for hiring him because right. he was licensed. He was competent to take care of Michael Jackson. I don't know who made the decision to give him propofol. It sounds like it was Conrad Murray's decision to do well, that. It, like the, it was
0: Michael's decision. Well, it sounded like at the at well. The no, urging. ultimately
1: he has to. He has to say yes or no. He has to have the strength to say to say no, and he didn't have that. But I think so he also he,
0: knew that if he said no, Michael's going to go get it from somebody. Else. That's fine.
1: That's fine. That happens to, you know, people come to me with with requests sometimes for certain medication or or they're on medication that I don't think they should be on anymore
0: and they want a refill on that. And you know what? At some point I say no. Have you had to drop a patient ever say, I cannot be your doctor? Because I tell the story about going to the psychiatrist. I went to the psychiatrist <laughs> and I did. I, I go there and I'd go there all the time. And then they sent out the office manager one day, some guy named Richard, as I recall. And I thought, this is odd. What's Richard coming out to? And Richard said, Brownie, I need to talk to you. And he said, I won't say the doctor's name, but he said, Dr. Uh, Smith We'll call him. Uh, is can no longer treat you. He does not want to treat you any longer. <laughs> And I said, he doesn't. Couldn't you have called me before I came all the way down here? And then because it's a shrink's office, he said, Brian, I understand the end of any relationship is painful. I said, stop. Are you giving me the breakup speech because the psychiatrist just dumped me? And he said, well, sort of, yeah. I said, save it. I'm going home. I don't need to hear this gobbledygook from you. But I wonder, as a doctor, sometimes I guess you really do. Maybe I was too hard on my psychiatrist back in the day. But I guess sometimes maybe you do have to look at a patient and say, you know what, I don't think I'm the doctor for you. Yeah,
1: that has happened. And, and I won't, it's probably a difficult I, I, I won't give specifics. Well, it's not difficult because uh, the process might be difficult, but the decision isn't difficult because it, it has to be so out there, so far radical that it makes it sort of an easy decision. Someone is being totally noncompliant. Someone is... is been soliciting medication from you and you get a call from the pharmacist and they got four other physicians who are giving him the same medication yeah, right that sort of thing and then you know the process of actually get dumping of dumping a client if right. that's the word you use yeah that's what it, happened to me is um, is not simple you can't just say to somebody you can't come back here okay you're responsible as a physician at least in California to take care To you need to send them a letter terminating a relationship you don't have to say why but terminating a relationship you generally like to give them at least two or three options of where else they could go
0: for treatment.
1: Yeah, for a care, they could go to Kaiser, they could go to a doctor so and so down the block, they could go wherever, and then you have to still be responsible for them for thirty days. Really, that's correct. That's the, that's the you know I don't know what part of the the law that is uh, when when that was put into place, but yeah, you can't just uh, abandon a patient. That would be called it would have something to do with abandonment. Right, the patient suddenly needs you at the hospital, and you just say you know I'm not coming. You can't do that. You can't do that. Right. No. Interesting. But, but if a patient, and the times that I can recall doing that are for overt non compliance, mm. uh, dangerous behavior,
0: medications, and things like that.
1: Medication, this. not following instructions, doing things you're not supposed to be doing, that sort of thing. Um, but it, 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 at that point, you're really not invested that much in a patient who isn't going to, because a doctor patient relationship isn't a one way street, it's a partnership. It, it, both sides have obligations and if both sides don't meet their obligations i mean patients will fire doctors all the time right sure they didn't like you they didn't like your personality they didn't like the counter they had at the front desk they didn't like waiting an hour they, they didn't like the bill they, they didn't like the bill they didn't like the fact they didn't get better when you gave them the first antibiotic or whatever to, so they they can freely leave you and they can leave you instantly yeah but you can't leave them instantly but not, and i think that that's fair i don't think most doctors complain about that sort of process i think it's fair a lot of times we grumble when we want to get rid of somebody and we still have to be responsible for them for 30 days.
0: We want to get in a moment to uh, what Dr. Stu's got on his mind here. But I have to ask you something. We've talked in the past about, uh, for example, I've asked you about cigarette smoking, you know, with, uh, you know, uh, ladies who are pregnant, whether it's home birthing or they're having the baby at the hospital or whatever the case may be. Have you had in your practice, and that's why I love about Dr. Stu's podcast, you get the perspective from the doctor. Have you had in your practice, for example, you, you say to a woman, you say to a, a client. Uh, uh, or, or, you know, you say, look, you can't, you, you know, you smoke two packs a day. You can't do that. You, 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 I, I'm looking at you, and I have the feeling that maybe you drink too much. You got to cut back on that. Have you ever had, uh, you know, a patient look at you and say, you know what? I'm not cutting back on that. I'm smoking two packs a day because I, you know, do you ever You mean meet- basically say F you? Yeah. Yeah.
1: Have I ever had that happen to me? Do you meet that resistance? No. No, I haven't. Okay, but I'm sure that it's been done. But again, I'm not, I'm not doing internal medicine. So I'm not, you know, if I have somebody who's smoking in pregnancy, first of all, almost nobody smokes anymore who, of the of, of pregnancy age. It's pretty rare in our population. I'm not talking about other parts of the country or whatever, but in, or, or even socioeconomic groups. But in the clients think, on the west side of Los Angeles that I yeah, tend to be involved with are Ventura County right. uh, or up in Santa Barbara. They, there's very little smoking going on. But if someone wanted to have a home birth and was smoking two packs a day, that would probably be a reason to tell them that they need to find another practitioner. Yeah,
0: right. Interesting. All right, right, so you came in here with a head of steam. Dr. Stu came in here and said, I can't believe this. And when he comes through the door and says, oh, guys, I can't believe this one, that's when we sit back and let Dr. Stu just open up that can of worms and go for it. Yeah, the
1: can of worms is open. This is an issue which people who listen to me, people who hear me speak, people who I work with, all know it was it was suggested to me by a good midwife friend of mine today to to bring up at the at the Dr. Stu podcast and it's talk. You know we all know in the United States that the C-section rate is way too high. Mm. We know that it's about 32, 33 percent nationwide. That means one in every three women who's pregnant is going to end up with a surgical birth. When we know that in 1970 it was five percent, so it's been it's gone up six hundred fold in 43 years. Forty-three years. Forty-three years. Wow. uh, With nothing physically changing with women, it's really the environment that how people are caring for, caring for patients, and about the the expediency and economics, the e cubed or e E quad that we talked about before. Right. And um, one of the leading things that gets people into the uh, cascade of interventions that leads towards the cesarean section is induction, and one of the you know induction of labor, bringing people in before they're in labor. For whether it's a, and there are good reasons for induction, but there are many bad reasons for induction. And one of the things I want to talk about today is a couple of reasons where people are getting induced that they really should think twice about before they do.
0: Who should think twice? The doctor and the patient.
1: Well, I'm talking about my effort is to inform patients at this point. Okay. But also, if we have nurses, medical students, residents, these are things you want to watch out for. This is sort of that uh, there's a sign. There's a it's like you can you can see it coming when this thing starts to happen. Yeah. You, you you see the change in the tone from your physician. And
0: it begins to cascade.
1: That's correct. And, you know, we talked last time a little bit about Winston Churchill's quote about, you know, a lie is halfway around the world before the truth reaches the starting line. Right. And, you know, there are big lies like if you want to keep your insurance, you can keep your insurance. You know, you can, if you can keep it, if you like your doctor, you can keep it. Those are big lies. Right. And then there are little lies. And then there are you un- know half truths. And then there's skewing consent and there's skewing information. There's this a is,
0: whole spectrum of falsehoods. Yeah, this
1: would not be in the category of a big lie, but it wouldn't be in the category of truth either. And that is the thing where physicians will tell patients toward the end of their pregnancy that their baby is looking too big. What does that mean? All right. Or they're or they'll do an ultrasound because the baby's measuring small or measuring big. And they'll find that the amniotic fluid volume is on the low side. OK. Well, what does that mean? So very nonspecific terms. But to a layperson, if I told you your amniotic fluid around your baby is on the low side, what would you think?
0: I would not know what to think. So I can only answer, and I hate to do this, I can only answer your question with a question. Sure. Uh, If the physician says the baby's looking too big or the amniotic fluid is low, the physician undoubtedly is going to follow that observation with some sort of reason why that's a bad thing. So I have to ask you, the doctor, What's the reason that the physician might give the pregnant woman as to why the amniotic fluid is low? Why is that bad? The baby the baby's too big. I can't answer that one because the baby may can maybe can't th- fit through the birth canal. And
1: you know how often they're correct about something like that? No, I don't. Extremely rare. Does n- nature will if unless someone is overtly diabetic, all right? Nature is really unlikely to design a baby inside of you that can't get out. All right? Just think again. We go back to our mammalian model. How many cats? How many horses have babies that can't get out? Not very many. Right. And that cow is looking mighty fat. Do we tell the cow that she needs to be induced? Do we tell the cow she needs a C-section? No, we don't tell her that. Right. We let her go and deliver because babies are designed first of all to mold, their heads are designed to mold. And the pelvis is designed to stretch a little bit, and that's why the bones loosen. And the, and the hormones of pregnancy cause, re, there's a relaxin hormone which causes loosening of the ligaments of the pelvis and the symphysis pubis and allows these things to expand. The baby has, you know, floating pieces of uh, bone on its head. They're not fused yet, so it all can fit through. This whole thing about babies being too large is just sort of greasing the skids toward getting the pregnancy over with so the doctor can either induce or do a C-section, or when you, and it starts to put doubt in the mind. Okay, and so
0: I have, to, I have to drop to the question yeah. because this is a critical issue. Why is it in a doctor's best interest to get the pregnancy over with, to induce the labor and get the baby out? I mean, uh, uh, is the short well, answer so we can go home? No. The,
1: the short answer is because they're worried about things like, a shoulder dystocia, which is where the baby's head comes out and the shoulder gets stuck, but there's no, but the, the data doesn't support that. The data doesn't support that shoulder dystocia is predictable, and it doesn't necessarily happen in babies that are large. But might a colleague of yours
0: say, Doctor Stu, why take that risk?
1: Well, I would say to him, why take the risk of unnecessary surgery? Why take the risk of uh, that that all the things that the complications and problems to baby and mother that go along with the cesarean section.
0: How common are complications and serious problems incurred from C-sections?
1: It depends what you define as problems, but there are more than 30 problems that occur from cesarean section that don't occur from vaginal birth. The top ones would be pain, scarring, damage to your bladder, damage to your insides, uh, bowel obstruction down the road, need for future surgery or future cesarean sections, uh, injury to the baby uh, from coming out too early, having problems with its breathing, increased risks of childhood asthma and immune to, and immune problems. Uh, who knows about the separation of mother and baby? Less successful breastfeeding rates, um, more risk of hemorrhage, more risk of infection. I mean, is this enough sure, list of things? Sure, sure. Plus, again, we've talked about before. What if a woman wants two or three or four children? What's the risk of two or three or four C sections? Right. So. The woman, you know, again, this the idea that we can predict big baby by looking at you is absurd.
0: But right? aren't you looking at the baby? I mean, forgive me, I'm a lay person. Yes, no. You're not just That's looking, why we're here. Right, you're not just looking at the big belly, you're looking at a sonogram, you're looking at the baby. Okay,
1: good point, Brian, because I'm glad you brought up a sonogram, all right? there. Are, there's much evidence out there that tells you the estimated fetal weight from a sonogram is no better than... Than the estimated fetal weight by a skilled practitioner's hands on the belly, all right. There's about a 10 percent error, which can sometimes be off by 30 percent, depending on you know who does the scan and, and how big the mom is and what position the baby's in. It can be because you ha- the the estimated fetal weight of an ultras- uh, on a baby by ultrasound uses the width of the head and the circumference of the abdomen, mm-hmm. and I don't think it really incorporates the long bones in it and it doesn't incorporate the circumference of the head. So if a baby happens to have a very wide head mm-hmm. and a slightly big belly, the estimated fetal weight could be off quite a bit. And instead of the baby coming out at 10 pounds, the baby could come out at 8 pounds. Now, first of all, many women can deliver a 10-pound baby, so I don't want to be implying that someone who has an estimated fetal weight of 10 pounds needs to have a cesarean section. But standard of care in the community would be that, if a baby has an estimated feet of over forty, estimated feet of weight of over forty five hundred grams, yeah, right. which is ten pounds, right, then that baby might do better by a cesarean section. But most babies, most women who are being told their baby's getting big, they're told their baby is getting big, not that their baby is big, and or so they,
0: or is too big,
1: or or what
0: they're not being told necessarily their baby is too big no but if
1: we let you if we let you go a little further yeah right sure then the baby's going to be too big and now you might have a birth injury or you might end up getting a cesarean so we need to induce your labor now to get the baby out sooner even though the baby's not ready your cervix isn't ready um but we want to do it and even though the induction in and of itself has a higher risk to go on to cesarean section than if you wait to spontaneous labor this is one of those bait and switch tactics which again, I annoys the hell out of me with modern obstetrical care is that they think they know better than Mother Nature and you cannot predict injury to the baby. You can certainly predict that the risks of cesarean section are higher than than a vaginal delivery and almost every woman, not every woman, but almost every woman deserves a chance as nature designed to deliver her baby through the vagina. Let me
0: ask you a question. I... I uh... OK.
1: Listen, this is this is a pivotal moment on the Dr. Seuss podcast. Brian is speechless for a second. I am because this is important stuff. It's big stuff. And you haven't heard this before. It is
0: big stuff. And I haven't heard it before. And I will take what you say because because I trust you, because you are a fine doctor. And 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 I believe you and, and you're and you're and you're certainly one of the smartest guys I know. You, you said a moment ago, every woman deserves, I'm paraphrasing, it was about 90 seconds ago. That puts ago. me in
1: great company, because I know you know Ben Shapiro, and I, <laughs> I think Ben is really one of the smartest guys. Ben's a guys. really smart guy, yeah. too.
0: Uh, but he's not a doctor, and you are. I'm paraphrasing, it was 90 seconds ago, my short-term memory is not what it used to be. I think you said something close to, every woman deserves the opportunity to deliver her baby through the vagina.
1: I said, I didn't say everyone, I said there are exceptions, but for the most part, that's the way nature designed it, okay. and that's what women should do, and, and doctors are notoriously wrong when they use estimated fetal weight as a reason to begin to put doubt in that woman's mind. So
0: my follow-up question, Dr. Stu, is this. Does every baby deserve a cautionary physician to ensure their maximum safety during childbirth?
1: I don't know what you mean by a cautionary physician. Let's explain that one.
0: Uh, I think what I mean by cautionary position, uh, physician <laughs> is the doctor who might take some more of these, uh, who, who, who 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 might plant these seeds of doubt that you described a moment ago. These physicians who might say, well, that baby's getting too big. Well, that amniotic fluid is low. Those physicians who might be more, quote, on guard for a potential problem in childbirth because sometimes and you've said it yourself uh, you you're a great you let me say it this way to you you're a you're an eloquent proponent of nature thank you and, and i thank mean you. and i mean that in in the in the in the kindest way
1: uh, i consider that to be an honor
0: uh, well well uh, and, and and i and i intended it to, to be appreciated that way there are other physicians though who take a more Cautious view who might not be as willing as a doctor stew to step back. Let nature take its course. Some physicians, we all know this, whether it's a pregnant lady or whether it's your dermatologist or whether it's your cardiologist or whomever it is, they want to get in there and be a little more. They want to meddle a little more. Is, is, is that a good adjective? They or yeah, a well, verb. They want to meddle more.
1: Brian, it's a great adjective. and if there wasn't if those physicians didn't exist and didn't exist in the majority, we would have very little need for Dr. Stu's podcast. Because more people would think like I do. The whole purpose of this podcast is to challenge conventional thinking and challenge it with, by the way, with evidence based data. Of course. Not consensus opinion, which is what so much of obstetrics is based on. There's no scientific evidence. There's no double-blinded, randomized, controlled studies that prove it. It's just this is what we think in this community. And by the way, standard of care varies from community to community. Like there is a standard of care in parts of Ventura County is nobody does breach, nobody does VBAC. And in standard of care, like at Cedar sinai is... If you have the skill to do a breach, you could probably do it, although most people don't. And certainly back is
0: accepted. But you know, it's fascinating as I listen to you and I listen to our podcast and I do like uh, like the rest. I go home and I listen back to your shows and I love them and I listen on the weekend and I hear them all the time. It, it, it is fascinating that there are so many physicians like yourself who went through very similar, if not almost the exact same training that you did. Who have come to very different conclusions about the care of pregnant ladies. And, and, and I think a lot of people might hear Dr. Stew's podcast. And if you're me, you scratch your bald head and you say, how did the same guys or the same ladies who went to very similar schools, had very similar training, come out with vastly different opinions? and feelings about how to do this
1: well i th- we've talked about this many times i probably came out with the same those same feelings that modern medicine knows everything right but i would just say to people who say why is it the majority of doctors think that induction for a large baby or induction for low fluid is a is a better route to go i would just say let's look at outcomes as a matter of fact we're looking in you know i'm not a big fan of where the healthcare is headed but one of the things that's part of the affordable care act and part of the reimbursement model that's coming down the right is what's out is called outcomes-based data and they're going to look at your outcomes and if and if dr stew has a c-section rate of 7% and dr jones has a c-section rate of 40% they're going to wonder well there's something going on here what's the difference my goal is to improve outcomes mm. and there is no data to suggest that scaring people at 37 or 38 weeks telling them that their baby's getting too big or doing an unnecessary ultrasound at that time only to find, and we're gonna, I'm going to go off on the fluid thing now, only to find that the amniotic fluid level is on the low end of normal. Now, anything above 5 centimeters of fluid in four pockets up to about 20, 22 centimeters is kind of considered the normal range. Uh-huh. But if anywhere between 5 and 20, for let's say, is normal, then... Is 12 normal? Yes. Is 7 normal? Yes. Okay. So,
0: By the definition you've offered, Correct. Yes.
1: So if someone has 12 at 38 weeks on an unnecessary ultrasound, and they bring them back a week later at 39 weeks for another unnecessary ultrasound, and now at 7, do they tell the patient, geez, your fluid is diminishing, or do they tell the patient, oh, your fluid's still in the normal level? And why are we checking it? And what I want this message to come out of this is for for clients, women, doulas, midwives, Everybody out there who listens to the podcast in the community. If you have someone telling you these things, then you must respect what they're saying, but also you have the absolute right to question it, challenge it, and seek second opinion from someone who has no relation to that person. In right. other words, don't go to their they don't don't get a referral to their maternal fetal medicine specialist. Right. Because that, that maternal fetal medicine specialist, that guy, that guy is dependent on that obstetrician for referrals. So like we talked about with the corruption of science, depending on who's funding the science, you're also going to get an opinion. It's going to be hard for this maternal fetal medicine specialist to necessarily give you an opinion that's diametrically opposed to to the doctor who referred them there
0: i love the advice you gave uh to 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 women there and we have a couple of moments let's spend a couple of moments because it begs a question the the advice that, that that you gave there to to seek that counsel to seek that second opinion it begs the question and i'll ask it aren't so many women and men of course as well intimidated by their doctors there i i I have told you i i have have felt in the presence of physicians and i've never been a pregnant lady that i have been intimidated by my physician almost uh, said another way so respectful of her or his credentials that i feel almost like who am I to question him? He's in the lab coat. He's got the degrees on the wall. He's the doctor. He's got to know more about this than I do. He's telling, you know, why should I go see somebody else? I'm sitting here with the doctor.
1: No, Brian, that's a that's a very reasonable uh, thing to, to ask. The same thing would go if, and I'm going to answer that, but the same thing would go if, if you have an accountant and you've been with the accountant for a long time and, you know, you get audited or you get a tax thing and or you, you know, you seem like your friends are telling you that you're paying more taxes than they're paying them. I mean, some at some point you might seek out a second opinion, even though you have high respect for your, you know, your uh,
0: CPA or whomever. It is. Yeah.
1: Your talented CPA or you, maybe he's in a he CPA. He may even be a lawyer in a CPA. Doesn't matter. But what I'm saying is, yeah, you should. You know, doctors are deserving of respect up to a point. They have spent a lot of hours sacrificing to get to where they're at. But we've all we've talked many times on this show about how things get skewed when you're in the system. And there are pressures put on you that are no fault of your own and you end up going down a path because it's the path of least resistance. Mm-hmm. It isn't a, it it may not be the the most honest path. It may not be the correct path, but it's the path that you can deal with because it's the only way for you to survive. You that have to is- you have to conform, yeah. you know, It's conform. It's conform. It's conform. It's be a lemming because if you are not a lemming, you can be beaten down by the system, or you can be ostracized, or in something that way. So it's very difficult, and or or if you're in an environment where this is the way the hospital's policy is, or the community's policy is, even if you know better, if you know differently, that's that would be very difficult for me. To say I wanted to move back to the Midwest and go to work for a HMO in the Midwest, right? I would have a really hard time with that because they may have a policy against VBAC or they may have a policy against breach or they may have a policy that no one goes beyond 41 weeks or people can start getting uh, antenatal testing ultrasounds at 38 and a half weeks. It's like, why?
0: Yeah.
1: Why am I doing these things? It's only leading... Pe- making people more nervous.
0: Wow, that is classic, Doctor Stu. Thank you for that. I love that. I love what <laughs> I, I really do, and I know that that's, that that is going to bring about a lot of feedback.
1: Yeah, I can't believe the music's playing already, but I'll tell you, <laughs> I'll tell you that this is really an important. This is a mission for me to get people to understand that birth is normal for the most part. And again, when I talk about these things, I'm talking about the the norms, I'm not talking about the exceptions. Women who are pregnant need to challenge things when they don't sound right, when they're fear-based. Seek out second opinions. Spread the word to people. Brian, why don't you tell people about again how to how to get onto the website and uh, and how to p- pass it on?
0: Absolutely, we're right here at drstewspodcast.com. If you are a member of the community, if you love the show, if you love the podcast, you're on Twitter. Tweet it out. Tweet out Doctor Stu's Podcast on Facebook throw up a link to dr stew's podcast tell your friends tell your friends and neighbors your wives your husbands your girlfriends your boyfriends about dr stew's podcast we are here bringing new shows to you every single week peruse the website for blogs and great youtube videos go to itunes subscribe to the podcast give the doctor five stars and write a nice review he's a doctor for goodness sake he deserves a nice review Dr. Stew's Podcast at drstuspodcast.com. As always, my friend, thank you. And be
1: safe out there tonight when you're trick-or-treating, all right? Yes.
0: For Dr. Stuart Fishbein, I'm Brian Whitman. Thanks for joining us on Dr. Stew's Podcast.